Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes. completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started chris is the founder and ceo of blackthorn.io he is obsessed with life's ux and get annoyed by squeaky doors and he lives to make things better in a very candid conversation I don't even want to call it an interview. Chris shares so much of his life which we normally keep hidden, not just from others but also from ourselves. He opens up and shares about his childhood, entrepreneurship, success, failure, mental health challenges as well as what gives his life meaning and how is he is still looking for that. And listen to this conversation to understand who Chris is and his story. and we also talk about material success as well as meditation we talk about doing more as well as doing nothing and we talk about fear as well as courage you do not want to miss this one hi chris welcome to the choosing leadership podcast thanks mit thanks for having me wonderful to have you with us today and to anybody for anybody who is listening can you start by sharing a little bit about who you are and what do you do yeah let's see um 40 years old split time between Manhattan and Connecticut going to get married in 2 weeks I co-founded a company 7 years ago called blackthorn.io we make apps for the salesforce.com platform around events payments sms and we focus on higher ed and nonprofit wonderful yeah first of all congratulations on on the wedding and the life ahead for you oh, thank you thank you thank you Yeah. But tell me more about about what you do and tell me how you end up where you are today. Yeah, I, I was really depressed as a kid and 7th, 8th, 9th grade. I spent a lot of time just sitting on my computer learning how to navigate things, changing my operating system every week to Linux, Unix, playing around with CGI Perl scripts and started doing some work for my friend Chad who ran internet creations which is now Vacaso 
in high school and then a bit in college. And then gap 15, 20 years or whatever it was, maybe 15 years, did a hiatus to other jobs, tried to launch a few things, and then went into the Salesforce ecosystem in January of 2011, back working for Chad at Internet Creations. I was there for two years. Then I was at Silverline in New York City. They're an implementation partner for a year and a half. Then I started my own Salesforce system implement integration partner, which is like an organization that helps companies go live on Salesforce. And I did that for a year and a half and sold my interest to my co-founder and then started this, co-founded this about seven years ago with a dual thesis where I wanted to have a Salesforce payments app that was really easy to get up and running. And my co-founder wanted to do an events app. So that became our focus doing events and payments. Thank you for sharing that. Can you go a little bit more deeper into what you shared about when you were quite young and how that has helped you evolve, That has how that has shaped your views, especially as an entrepreneur, as a leader? Yeah, for sure. My household was a bit crazy. My father was abusive, my mom as well, but extra critical too. So I ended up spending as much time as I could away from them and away from people. I had two brothers, so I still have two brothers that I spent a lot of time with. But a lot of my time I spent on our computer. We got our first computer, I think when I was maybe 10, just playing games. But then I played around with a lot of DOS commands and navigating system preferences. And I learned how to write code with a few different languages, but I really didn't gravitate towards it because I have a very short attention span and sitting in front of a blank screen, I never really enjoyed. But if there was something existing or something with architecture, I always enjoyed doing a lot of that. So I, I ended up spending a lot of time after my parents split and got divorced when I was very depressed, just sitting on my computer. And it helped me be very comfortable with computers. And I ended up finding computers to be very safe. There was nothing that could like physically or emotionally hurt me with a computer. So when a computer wasn't working for some reason, I didn't get frustrated. I enjoyed the challenge with it. And I think because I enjoyed sitting on a computer alone and working with challenges for so long, that was like a natural extension to starting something on my own. And then I got diagnosed with bipolar two when I was 20 or 21. And I've read that people with bipolar tend to be a bit more prone to taking risks. And I think starting a company for most people is a bit scary. And I was fortunate too, because eventually my parents had some money. So I had a psychological fallback, even though I really didn't ever want to use it, which I think helps as well. Because if someone has, they're more risk prone and they really don't have a fallback, then it's hard to go to start something. It's not impossible. It's just, I think psychologically makes it harder. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. It's so personal. I'm glad that you opened up about all of that. So I have a very similar uh, like background with computers around you. I started to fell in love with computers as a way to avoid people. And for me, it was more about my shyness and introversion. And I was very happy that when I learned that I can do something which doesn't require dealing with people. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. When COVID hit, I was like, what? I don't have to meet with anyone? That's great. <laughs> I can just sit in my apartment and yeah. just hang out. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. that sounds wonderful. Yeah, but at least uh, from my experience, and I want to come to yours as well, for me, it it was a lot of burden as well because I felt myself incapable of dealing with the world. And then computers became an escape route. That helped me 
become good at computers and programming, but at the same time, the burden of not being good enough or not being up to the mark was always like a big burden. And I was always trying to prove myself through whatever I was doing. And I know that can be a huge toll on. So do you have something similar during that period? It can give you the drive to succeed, but at the same time, the journey can be quite toxic or heavy. Yeah, I didn't have that problem, but I had a different one where whenever I had to do something interpersonal, I didn't deal with it very well. I tended to be very abrupt or brash or talking to people like they're a computer. <laughs> uh, I wasn't empathetic and I tended to type strong messages to people rather than talking, which always comes off better. So I, I think the solidarity pushed me to have that interaction. Yeah. And how has that evolved over time? Because I have done the same, like treating people like computers and expecting to push buttons and then they respond, expecting them to respond in predictable ways, but people are anything like that. So especially as a leader, as an entrepreneur, how has that evolved for you? Yeah. When we were a smaller company, we never raised VC. So money was always really tight. And when money's tight, I had to or I felt at least that I had to rely on everyone on the team to never have a mistake ever. And it made me really go bananas on them until over time, our earlier team painfully taught me like, Chris, you really can't react this way. And then it started to get really important once we got bigger because we ended up with really a lot of new people very fast. And I couldn't bring my old habits to them because I think people that join a startup they live for that craziness, but people who join a more mature company, they don't want the craziness. They want process, something more secure, something more flatline, not the ups and downs. So I had to quickly change that. Otherwise, I think I would have pushed a lot of people out rather quickly. And what has helped you during that process? Are there any key people, any key incidents in your life that have shaped your views or helped you get better with people? On the team, a number of people along the way gave me a lot of examples of things that really hurt them. And I didn't realize it because I, I think my empathy was always there subconsciously, but I never acted on it because really didn't care about hurting people's feelings. But then as we got bigger, it became, or as people talked to me about it, I realized that it really hurt. And then I also see a therapist. I saw a therapist when I was 10, 11, 12. And then I gapped a long time. And then I went back to her. She's now 80 years old. I've been seeing her for eight years in a row now. But the first five years was twice a week for five years, which is like hmm. a lot. It's 500 sessions or something, whatever the math is. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. But then it's now four sessions a week because it's one with me, one with a men's group, one with my fiance, and one with a couple's group. And it's really helped me to understand the interactions of all the different dynamics. So a lot of times when I was saying and doing something it wasn't beneficial to really anyone. I didn't understand it. And then I pointed out to her and it was very painful. Going through therapy sucks. I don't enjoy one bit of it, but the benefits of it really helped me in my life. Thank you. Thank you for really sharing that. I totally wholeheartedly appreciate that. I think what a lot of people see when they see a business or a leader is the results, is the output, yeah. is the titan. But they don't see the tough choices that they make on a sometimes on a moment by moment basis. And uh, thank you for sharing that because this is what makes you who you are. And then everybody, I think you now are like a hundred plus company. 
Yeah, we we've been fortunate to to double revenue and people each year the last four years or something like that. We have over a hundred people now. We're in we've never had an office. We had like a co-working office with two or three people in, in New York City, but we have twenty-three US states and 15 countries that we're in now. So everybody's distributed. We are almost at 11 million ARR, which to me is like crazy. Because for the longest time, I thought it would be amazing if we hit a million ARR. And then if we hit 5 million and then we hit 10, I was like, okay, this is getting a bit nuts. So things are going well with any outside looking in metric. Internally, I'm always really focused on the problems. It's hard for me to take a step back and take a look at what's going on because all I ever see is problems. And it, it helps when I hear customers say they're happy or if I meet with customers and say they're unhappy and here's the reasons why, it really helps us to get better than two. Mm-hmm. But then when I share on our all company meetings every month about what's been going on, just reading off all the metrics, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, this thing really has changed yeah. a lot. But like the first three, four years, we almost died. Like at the end of the third year, we almost went out of business. We had 7K left in the bank and we had no real money coming in. And we had an 80K monthly expense and it was like really horrible. I never Mm. want to go through that again. Yeah. And as you have come out on the other side with now 100 people whom you are contributing in many different ways, not just the salary part. What are you realizing about yourself? As you yourself said, they can 11 million. You, it, at one angle, it looks like nuts. What are you realizing after having achieved this? And where are you headed? It's a good question. I say it's good because it's very thought-provoking for me and something I'm still working through. So I've never met someone that doesn't have a list of things that they want, personally, professionally, whatever it is. And every single thing... I've ever wanted. I checked the box on by the end of last year. I got this, we rent a place in the city, but I got this lake house in Connecticut, which I always wanted to work remotely from like water. It just always seemed amazing. And uh, getting engaged and I sold a small minority position of my shares late last year. And that allowed me to buy a bunch of stuff. I saved a bunch and gave some away. And we started doing a lot with the company now where we give away 1% of revenue to Stripe Climate. We're giving 3K a month to watsi.org. And I have a goal to, to, we need a pretty sizable exit to do this, but I have 65% of the, 64% of the company now, because we never raised VC and it's a hard path. I don't really recommend anyone go this path. This is very hard, but looking back, it's ended up in a pretty good position, but Coming out of the exit, I really want to see if I could get a nonprofit funded with hundred million in it as like a foundation. And I started a 501c3 nonprofit based in New York. And a lot of things really need to come to fruition for that to happen. The stars really need to align. But one thing I'm realizing is that after getting all the stuff I want to get, like there really isn't a lot of other things. What do you do? Try to make more money on the money you get, or do you give it away or buy more crap that like no one really needs? So I'm trying to find what is fulfilling with that. So that's me personally. Professionally with the company, our goal is to get to around 40 to 50 million ARR and then likely run an investment banking process. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of companies that have already contacted me to buy us. And I said, this was way too early. A lot of companies wanted to make a growth investment. We ended up doing, initially we did some debt facility with CapChase and that went really well to the extent that we could grow with 
CapChase, but then we wanted to do something much more significant than revenue-based financing would extend. That model has some limits to where you can go. So then we did a debt facility with Level Equity and RF Partners that allowed us to hire a bit more ahead of revenue. I'm more on the product engineering side. I, I like the solidarity sitting around. I'm not really on the sales side. So there's a lot of stuff that we're still trying to make that I want us to come to light with as new products and to work on the UX. So that's a big thing we're working on is bringing new things to light and on the UX. And then there's the sales piece of reaching this scale. Now, if we get there really fast and we're still growing like crazy and everyone's really enjoying it, then we'll probably keep going. But if it comes time to sell, then it's time to sell. But I'm, I've been on this personal discovery now to figure out what comes next to, to do with the money because I feel like it's my responsibility to put it somewhere it's going to have an impact. And things like child poverty really made a big impression on me. I was in the Philippines when I was uh, in 2009 for a few mm -hmm. months, and I saw a whole group of kids that lived under an underpass and a river. And I'm like, this, this is horrible. Like someone needs to do something about this. There's a whole lot of concepts of things where people could really use some money. So I, again, I, I don't really know what's going to happen personally, but something like this seems more rewarding than just simply trying to make money. Thank you for sharing that. I think there are some key elements here and I want to highlight. Like often when we succeed or when when we see something in, is missing, we want to fill that up by acquiring things. And what you said, right? Crap. I don't want any more crap. I think there is there comes a point where you see oh, everything materialistic. It has its value, mm -hmm. but you can only do so much. And then the real paradox starts, right? The hole starts to fill, not by taking something, but by giving something. So immediately the examples, all of the examples that you shared were about giving back, were about nonprofits or making a, a contribution. And you s saw that as a responsibility. And eventually people realized that doing that actually fills that, gives them meaning, gives them value, which anything material couldn't give. Yeah, the, the thing is, I actually don't know if it's going to give me any meaning or value. I hope it will. But at this point, I find it interesting. And that's mm -hmm. enough for me. My therapist says that in life, you have to keep folding another, I don't know, she uses some noun, like fold of the fan, basically, like the fans that you unfold. And unless you do that, then like things get boring. It just becomes the same thing all the time. So at least it's something very new to me and interesting. And if I can help people get food, water, medicine, education, like the things that I was just given, those are things people need, right? <laughs> no one needs another iPhone, but people need like these basic. Yeah. It seems like something interesting that I have a responsibility yeah. to help with. Yeah. But tell me a little bit more about yourself. I see two two bikes in the background, yeah. but tell me what all speaks to you, right? What all do people not see when they meet you or interact with you for work? People I've worked with for a long time know me pretty well. I really like endurance sports. I'm not a sprinter. I like getting on a bicycle for hours. I had the opportunity to go to, my fiance's French and we go to France each year to visit family and friends and stuff. And I got to ride in the Alps last year and it was one of the most beautiful experiences I ever had. It felt free, the air was fresh. It was just amazing. I have a half Ironman triathlon coming up this Sunday. Mm -hmm. There's swimming, biking, running and doing these long exercise things help me manage my bipolar. If anyone has mental illness where there's like heavy anxiety, it helps to do a lot of exercise to manage that. It helps to level it out. So it, I end up doing a lot of that, but I'm also trying to do things creative. I'm convinced that I can do a Bob Ross wet on wet oil 
painting. So I just bought everything recently and I'm going to give that a, a shot, but I'm trying to find things that are more creative rather than just like the exercise stuff that I've enjoyed. And I've two cats. I had dogs when I was younger. Having dogs in an apartment in New York City is not fair to them. They don't get to run around. It's also very annoying because you have to take the elevator down a few times a day and just stand there while they go to the bathroom. It's just not a good scenario. But cats is good. We take them to the place in Connecticut and they run around and they love it. And I don't know, that's more about me. I like plants and gardening. You can see some plants behind me and art. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think on that note, on what you talked, what you shared about your therapist, and also exercise and cycling. One thing which uh, which I have found is that almost every leader who succeeds and who manages manages to hold themselves together, not crumble through the pressures of entrepreneurship or leadership, has some kind of physical practice because it, in the very least, it helps you helps your mind stay fresh. It gives perspective, and it keeps the blood flow moving. Right, because so often it's so easy to just sit on a chair and just focus on the stress, focus on the problems, and not really see nature, not really connect with the fresh air, as you said. So traveling, biking, any kind of sports. At the same time, I also have known a few leaders who have used endurance sports as a way to punish themselves, mm. as a way to really like let go of that excess energy which they have felt. And that can be a tricky place. Even that can help you release that energy. But but I just wanted to share that. But Yeah, I, I used to do really long bike rides, like six to seven hours. And that was too much. That ended up really hurting. And that was punishing myself. Now I the stuff I do, I've worked up to it and I no longer get hurt. And now it's just like muscle fatigue. And now it's just more enjoyable. There's something with the dopamine release, either exercise or sex or maybe like good dark chocolate or something that mm -hmm. I think is important too, where a business doesn't really do that. If you deliver a product, it's awesome for an hour or two. If you win a huge deal, it's great for half the day, then you wake up the next day, you're like, all right, it's cool. Like it, it doesn't really do that, that, that much. I think there, I always tell our team, there's a book, a quote from Frank Herbert from Dune, and this is effectively what he's saying, but it's not his exact words that from the base of the mountain, you can see the mountain, but from the top of the mountain, you can no longer see the mountain. And the concept is about the journey. It's not about the uh, achieving the thing at the end. And there's something rewarding about the journey that I look forward to. And I think that's why I like the endurance sports rather than a sprint, because it's just this ongoing thing. It's nice. Yeah. Thank you. And I think one thing which is coming to mind is another interview I did on the podcast and it was another entrepreneur. And he shared with me the value of doing nothing. And that he was at a point in his time and then he got the advice from somebody that instead of trying to fill up time with something, to just take a few months off and not do anything, and that will reveal something to you. So when you spoke about nature, like you saw something beautiful, you allowed nature to in a way touch you, mm. in a way move you. But if you can stay with that silence, if you can stay with that space, that which can be uncomfortable, that can often give you those answers or that can resolve those dilemmas of what is next for me? Where do I want to contribute? Where do I find meaning? Yeah. yeah. Warren Buffett talks about his schedule where every Tuesday or Wednesday, every week for 30, 40 years, his schedule is haircut. And the only thing he does that entire day is get a haircut every week. And Bill Gates 
used to take a week of every year without electronics. I mean, I'm sure he had electricity, but without <laughs> other type of electronics, just to read books and figure out where he was going. And for me, these long exercise things, I do it without music. And the only thing I do with electronics is take pictures. And that's enjoyable. I found it's hard for me to take a lot of time off only because I don't know if it's anxiety that I want to see what's going on or if I just simply enjoy the business. I've had a fear of what happens when I sell and I forget his name, but the founder of WP Engine gave this speak that uh, this speech on a disaster a few years ago that 21 out of 22 founders get depressed when they sell their companies. Hmm. And you can hear in Jason Lemkin's tweets that he, he he's happy. I think one of them, he even said he's happy he sold and he also would be happy if he didn't sell. It's hard to figure out what the move would be. And I don't even know how I got on this run on thought, but there's a fear for me for sure of what comes next. I think that's what happens to a lot of people that retire from their jobs. They end up getting depressed like even if they take up golf or something full-time, like there's a depression around it and maybe they'll go back to consulting or finding another job or something. It's hard to find what comes next. So sitting around and not doing anything and thinking about what comes next for too long of a period is hard for me. And I imagine it's hard for a lot of people. Yes. So I do work with a lot of leaders and in various capacities, but it's very normal to see their job or to their success or to see their money as part of who they are. And then not having that feels almost like your child has gone away. After high school, it can feel similar and create that anxiety or yeah. that emptiness. But again, then the antidote is also in really stepping back and seeing that what you created is not you, right? So if you created a painting, the painting is different than you. Similarly, if you created a company or whatever you created, it's not you are the creator, you are not the creation. And as you can bring that separation, that opens you up to more, what can I create next? Yeah, that's a good point. It's not your identity. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, and also fear, right? Fear, another thing, which one of my maybe biggest learnings, because, because I went from a 16 years career in technology to suddenly becoming a leadership coach because I was so passionate about all of these elements, which are normally not spoken about, that's what we are talking today, and how big a role they play in, in well-being, in our relationships, in our trust. That I, for a long time, I had this fear of, will I really make it? And am I making a huge mistake by letting like a career in tech go? Which is a very good place to be in, like from a salary, from a like a income point of view, opportunity point of view. And one thing which I realize is the fear is like fear is not a problem. And fear only becomes a problem when we stop being fearful. So when we make it wrong to feel fear. So you see that something is scaring you, but then you turn away and then you don't really face the fear. But if you can face the fear and allow it to really like really allow yourself to feel physically, even physically feel fear, it will reveal what is meaningful for you. And because we only feel fear about things which are important to us, which matters to us. So fear always has an important message. Fear has a very important role in keeping us safe, like otherwise we would all jump off buildings. So fear has its value. But if we avoid fear, we also miss out that message that what is meaningful for us. And by looking there, by standing, facing what is scaring us in the moment, 
can actually give us the courage, right? Where because of this is important to me, even now that I am a little bit shaky, I will continue to move forward. But in the, I think as a society, we have created a space where we don't talk about these things. We don't even, like, even if some, even if you talk about this stuff, people normally brush it aside because it is uncomfortable for them as well. And especially for men, it is very difficult because then people ask you to man up, right? People like, like men can't cry or men can't have fear and create and to live under that bubble or illusion, which basically doesn't allow us to see like where is the path for us. And most often the path is through fear rather than avoiding fear. Yeah, my, my therapist says that boys are taught to not talk about their emotions and girls are taught to shut up. And it's interesting the struggles that men and women have getting a bit older. I think doing all the therapy I've had makes it a bit easier for me to talk about these things. And I believe a lot of people don't start companies or don't do therapy because of the fear. It's mm -hmm. too much to confront. It's too painful. And that's okay. But I think it's also hard for people to recognize that. And they end up quitting something for other reasons, but it's a heavy degree of the fear of what can happen. Yeah. And the flip side of that is the regret of not doing something even hurts more. And if you talk to people who are very old and ask them what are their regrets, the number one is courage to follow what I really wanted to say or what I wanted to pursue. That is always the number one regret. So yes, sometimes it can be too painful. But what we don't see is like living a life, which is like not even like living, uh, can help us survive, can help us be safe in a materialistic world. But it cuts up from the inside, which we realize like many decades into the future. Yeah, it's it's a really good point because there, I've recently learned an, another angle where I'm doing the things that I want to do. These are the things I want to do because of nurture. Is there sub, something subconsciously that pushed me into doing things with computers and business because my father ran a hospital and his father started a bar. Like they've mm -hmm. both been in positions of leading stuff. Both of my brothers, they started their own companies and lead stuff. But is this what we all really ever wanted to do? Or is it just because this is how we saw things by osmosis growing up? Would I have been a good artist or would I have been a park ranger. I don't know. Or a cycling coach. I don't know. And I also don't know what comes next, but there's something I enjoy about what I do, but I don't know how much of it is subconscious. I think those are good questions to live into. I don't know. And maybe I could be that as long as you do it with, with curiosity and wonder, not with uh, self-judgment. And, and also what you were sharing about your family being people being entrepreneurs earlier about like men can't really show emotions and women are not allowed to really express themselves. Mm -hmm. Even these things are in a way our creation, right? As human beings, we have created these notions of what a man is, what a woman is. And if you separate ourselves again, the creator versus creation, if you separate that out, then just like you have created that, you can create something else. So you can create a new notion for your family, for your children, or if you are a coach, then the people you're working for, uh, that's your creative potential as well to not just create companies or careers, but also create thoughts, ideas, narratives, which shape cultures, which shape organizations. You, every now and then there comes a company which does things its own way. I think Patagonia is a recent example. I'm sure you have, right? Yeah, it's and, amazing, that one. Yeah, and that's also a creation, right? Just like entrepreneurs create companies, products, 
that is also a creation which might change the face of capitalism in the next century. So we, and we often forget that. We see it, uh, I can't talk about this. Yeah, but right. that's coming out of a creation and we forget that we are the creator. In some way, a human being or a collective of human beings had created that notion that men can't speak about this. But the... Yeah. the oh, sorry, you had something else? No, I think the same thing. The moment we realize that we are the creator, that gives us the opportunity to create something new and be really open to that. I can also be this. I can also be this. I can also be this. And that's a good place to be. Right. Yeah, it helps with the process of exploration. I saw a tweet maybe a, a year ago from Hunter Walk, very successful investor, saying that he often emails founders on Saturday morning to see how fast they respond and there's both are amazing and it's the, this culture of working really hard that works for some people but we recently started doing something completely opposite so as a young company you have to work your butt off or the company is just not going to work but now once we've hit a certain scale we're able to work less and still achieve a lot and push the business forward, but enjoy things that are not to have to make money. So we started a four-day work week that we've been running now for six months, and it's working fine. Anything that we have that's customer-facing, we run like alternate schedules. They'll do a three-day and a five-day or four-day or different things. But it's allowed us to work under 40 hours, and everybody pursues different stuff. They, mm -hmm. uh, the parents spend more time with their kids. That's a big one. I don't have any kids, so I just spend more time exercising or reading Isaac Asimov books or something. But that's been a big one because I don't have aspirations to become a public company and change the face of cars or electricity or what that is. But we give a good living to a lot of people. Our customers are happy. And I think it's a different mentality. And maybe it's hard for investors to, to look at that because they want to know that the people they invest in are working as hard as they can, but maybe that's also a luxury we have of not having a board, of not having VC, where we've been able to define a different path and people are enjoying it for different reasons. Wonderful. I think even there, maybe there is some insight for you because the way you shared that, there was a different look in your eyes and you talked mm -hmm. about the four-day work fees. So there was something meaningful for there. Like a lot of people will go for, let's go bigger. Let's, we got here, let's go to the next level. And I'm not saying one is right or wrong, but the decisions that you're making in your life, I think, or the dreams that you have for yourself are revealing something about some kind of dots connecting, some kind of pattern. And if you, if maybe if you were to look deeper, and uh, that will reveal like what could be the next step that would add that meaning. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you are already doing it. You just need to connect the dots. Yeah, there's there's definitely something there. I've been working with the coach to try to help me connect these dots. This guy, Andrew Stern, he's been helping me to do these thought exercises to figure out what am I already doing and I'm not really seeing. Yeah. Wonderful, Chris. I think so normally I have a, a set of questions, but today... We just went off because I think what you shared was so raw and so needed to come out. And I want to applaud you and celebrate you for the choices that you have made. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership. Right, so these are the choices which shape you. And now for those 100 people, you're, it is shaping their lives as well. As you said, parents are spending more time with their children and 
When you say it like that, no metrics, no other metrics matter. It's important because the last company I co-founded when I sold it, when I sold my interest, it really hurt because this thing that I had devoted like almost every waking hour to for a year and a half just to have it survive was suddenly gone. And it made me realize one, one day I want to be able to change that dynamic if I can, because you hear all these things. If you had a year and a day to live, like, what would you do? And if your company is going to be able to go away from you so fast, what would you do? It was a big lesson I learned. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to wish you best for this journey. So you're getting married very soon. So that's uh, again, a new start. But also this journey of exploration, right? I meet some people who are very clear on what gives them meaning. But then again, this is not about right and wrong. This is not about, this is about the journey. So trust yourself, trust where you are today, trust the choices that you have made. Take responsibility for that. And I'm sure there are good things lined up for you. And living between two continents, France and the U.S. is already, you get to experience different perspectives. And I wish you best with uh, with your company, with your cycling, with your marriage and everything that's ahead for you. That's a lot. Thank you very much for all that. And I hope your coaching flourishes. I've enjoyed the podcast today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, Vince. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, Can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.